0: Thank you, Jedediah and worship team. Beautiful. Good morning. Good morning. By the way, Paul and the deacons won't follow up, but I follow up with every individual. Know uh-huh. You can tell that's part of my personality, right? Um, no, I used to not like to talk about money at all uh, because it's been talked about so poorly by so many churches. Uh, and yet, I have changed my tune uh, because, according to Jesus, uh, how we handle our money is part of our spiritual formation. Yep. It's part of how he works in us and shapes us. And so, we would do a disservice to you all if we never talked about how we take our time, talent, and treasure and seek to, to use that for God's honor and glory. So I'm all in favor of us, not in a legalistic or unhealthy way, uh, but in a healthy way, saying, what does it mean? How do we handle our finances within the kingdom of God? Well, how does that look different than the world around us? It, it should look different. Um, So we are in a a series, Image Maker, Facing Your Soul. We're talking about spiritual formation, talking about um, how Christ is formed in us. The invitation for us to be transformed from within in Christ. And I was thinking of a story um, back... uh, Many years ago, when I served on intervarsity staff, it's a parachurch organization for for colleges, and um, and I was young. I was right out of college. I was 21, 22, and I was going to be serving a couple of colleges and in the intervarsity chapters, the Christian students, in uh, in Illinois, a couple of schools in Illinois, and I had decided that I would fast from dating. For a year. And uh, that was prompted by a couple of uh, things. One is InterVarsity really discouraged the staff. They weren't, again, legalistic about it, it wasn't a law, but they really discouraged you from dating the students that you're serving, felt like conflict of interest there. So that was, and I was just hanging out with students all the time. The second thing is, is I had dated a a number of uh, gals in college and i had been hurt and i'm sure i hurt others right so i my it just felt like my soul did not go well with this in and out of these relationships and i'm like i need to take some time just to figure this out and and, and get this set and so i'm like a year i'll i'll, I'll give it a year now especially being 21 and 22 year old, this was challenging, right? This was to to try and honor um, this commitment before God. And if I'm honest, there was a number of challenging aspects to it. One of it is I didn't want to not just date, but I wanted to give my thought life over to God and let him redeem that. That was probably the hardest part right, to say, God, would you take my thought life and and would you form that? And it was a big source of frustration because I would set these boundaries in my thought life and unfortunately, on a regular basis, I would cross those boundaries, right, I'm going to date myself a little bit. The, the World Wide Web and the Internet was not around at this time. Praise God, because there's all sorts of unhealthy places I could have gone, right? Or at least if it was around, I wasn't aware of it. And um, But I had an active imagination, and there's a dark side to an active imagination, right? So wrestling through and saying, Lord, would you take this... I would reach such a frustrating level that there were times that I would say, God, can you just remove these desires? Would you just take these away? The Apostle Paul has this uh, really enlightening passage of Scripture in Romans 7 when he's wrestling with the flesh And he says this. Do we have that Romans 7 up there? He says, and this is the Apostle Paul, so take some comfort in this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Can you relate to that at all? Yes? And if I do what I do want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. He, he connects with the, the presence of sin in his life. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. He's wrestling with the depravity. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Now either, uh, did I finish or did it go? Paul is being really open and authentic or he's schizophrenic here one of the two right he's going out he's just re- reflecting on that war and that battle back and forth in that frustration we were there was a couple of us uh, young guys on staff university staff and we had um, a supervisor Steve and he was a little bit older than us And he was married with kids, and we would talk. He was, you know, a supervisor, but a good friend and a mentor. And we would talk about all these things. He said, hey, by the way, guys, the sexual temptation that you're dealing with, it doesn't get any easier once you're married. We're like, what? We thought that was the answer. Come on, that can't be true. He's like, all right, a couple of minutes maybe but then the hormones come rushing through. You're still going to have to figure out how to walk in this and with this in your soul. I had a a very uh, real and authentic uh, discussion with my sister, a relationship with my sister. We were talking back and forth. She was married with kids, and, and she said uh, one time, you know, Eric, the you know, sexual intimacy is just a very small part of, of marriage. I said, what are you talking about? I said, give me a percentage. <laughs> She's like, 10%. I said, no way! That is not right! She said, yeah, Eric, with, with kids and all their activities and jobs and, and all of that, you're I'm like... I am at 75% here. That's how my marriage is going to be. Okay, a few percentage for kids, but that's it, 70. So back and forth, just that, that journey was so hard. What I did not realize at the time, which I realize more today in hindsight, that that struggle and that difficulty was intimately connected with the spiritual maturity and the formation that God was doing in my heart and soul in that time. You see, I saw it as all bad and all struggle and yet he began to show me that in, in relation to this, he was using that for my own spiritual formation, for, for the maturity And the fullness of my soul. I don't know if you believe me or not, but we're going to talk about that this morning. In fact, we're going to look at a story that I think really illustrates this. We're going to go back to the story of David and Bathsheba. If you've brought your your Bibles open, please open to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We were in chapter 12 last uh, week and we saw how Nathan, you know, uh, David was so much in self-denial. He was pushing away the sin and he had really committed not only adultery but to, but murder and dishonesty and Uh, deception, all sorts of stuff, and he's in denial. So finally, God sent Nathan and he confronted him with his sin. David was forgiven, but still had to face the consequences of his sin. So we're going to read the story of his sin in chapter 11 and, and talk a little bit certainly we can learn some things not to do when it comes to sin and spiritual formation. Yes? yes? But I think the Lord wants us to learn some things to do as well. This is 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. David's the king, Joab's not. But David sent Joah out with the king's men, his men, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. I'm guessing it was a combination of he was bored because he wasn't doing the things he was supposed to do. And maybe he had a little bit of a Fire, longing, looking for something. He was just wandering around on his roof. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. man, after God's own heart, becomes the first peeping Tom in recorded history, as far as I know. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. I'm wondering, we don't know, but I'm wondering if the messenger said, it's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah. (laughs) Probably not, but it probably would have helped. Maybe not. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from the monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Evidence of the sin. David's in trouble. Her husband's off at war. They're obviously not sleeping together if he comes back. And she's pregnant, there's trouble. David decides to fix it. So David sent his word to Joab send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked, How was Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going, yada, 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 cover, cover. Then David said to him, Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. So nice of David to do that. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. It's always problematic when the integrity of someone else gets in the way of your evil plans. (laughs) David was told Uriah did not go home, so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, now I imagine that they're in David's palace where David's been sleeping, and Uriah says this, the ark of Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. But it wouldn't have been great if Uriah said, King, where did you sleep last night? But he doesn't. Then David said to him, Stay here once more, one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Darn integrity. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, probably justifying himself, "Well, I've no choice." And he sent it with Uriah. Uriah carries his own death sentence in his hand from his king who he is honoring with his life, to his commander. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell, Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So a number of things that I think we can learn. First, my initial reading of that is just makes me so sad. David is one of my heroes, man, after God's own heart. So, so disappointed. And yet it is a a warning that all of us, no matter where we are in our faith, no matter how many years we've been walking with the Lord, no matter what position of of leadership, it doesn't matter who we are, we're susceptible to fall in a sinful manner in that way. And I want to talk a little bit about how David... Misses how, how how he falls short, and a little bit of what he could have done. What we've seen by his own testimony, especially in the Psalms, that that he's done differently. One is he does he fails to discern the moment of temptation. Talked a little bit about this last week. He doesn't look at the, the nature of temptation. He doesn't look at the, the power and the consequence. He doesn't see that. Um, the Apostle James was talking about temptation. He does in, in a very revealing way. He says in James 1 he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. We saw that, right? We see this. In David's life, it it led to death, not initially his death, uh, not his death, but but to others' deaths, unfortunately. He was caught in this power. What David had done before is he had recognized moments of temptation and he counted the cost. And, and And he looked to God's heart And desire. You remember, we read last week at the end of 2 Samuel 11, it says, And this, but this displeased the Lord. In other circumstances, David had the wherewithal to say, What is God's heart in this circumstance? What would I do that would I displease him or please him? What are the consequences of that? Sin. David failed to do that. I think there'd be great value in talking a little bit about the the nature of desire, of temptation, and sexuality. I'm going to share a little bit deeper with you all. I want you to stay with me, okay? So, the the ancient Greeks, they used to argue that the, the gods had placed... A fire within humanity. And sometimes it makes us crazy. This, this passion. This energy. And this, this fire within. This passion. This energy. The desire. Could be the source of great good. Of great accomplishment. Right? Uh, of doing great things. Of honoring God and one another. And at the same time, th- this passion, this-, this fire could be the source of great sorrow and compromise and pain. The Christian would agree, not God's, but God is placed. Now, listen to this. Some have defined spirituality as the discipline of this passion, this energy within. Some have taken the whole definition of what it means to grow spiritually, spirituality, and they've said, it's worth thinking and processing, that it's the disciplining that's taking this energy and not allowing it to flow into unhealthy areas like adultery and murder but allowing it to flow into healthy, God-honoring things. Uh, The word sex and sexuality has an interesting definition. I bet you it surprises you. The the definition, sex and sexuality, is rooted in a Latin verb, which means to cut off, to sever, to separate. I don't know where your mind just went, but let me bring it back to this place here. Too many places. places. Come here. There's a a Catholic author in his book, Holy Longings. He gives this analogy. He says, he's talking about sex and sexuality in a grander sense. He's not using, he uses a different term, term actually, genitalia for sexual intimacy sexual activity, but he's talking about sexuality in in a grander sense of passion within. And he says it's the analogy if you have a tree and there's a branch and you take an ax and you cut off the, the branch, falls on the ground. It has been severed. It has been sexed. Now, if the branch were made in the image of God, which it is not, and had a conscious, it would wake up in the world and go, oh, I, I, I was a part of something. I, I, I feel that sense of separation. I long. If I, and in that sense, in that consciousness, as that branch, little branch, matures, it would long to, if it's going to live the life, it's going to produce the fruit that it can. Be a, a fruitful producing branch deep in its cells, it knows it has to reconnect to the whole from which it was severed. That's how we're born into the world, is that we have been cut off from our Creator because of our sin. And as we grow, we have a longing and we can feel it in our bones, can't we? Longing for for union and intimacy and production, and we live, this is part of the fallen, separated, human condition, is that we've all been separated, sexed from the whole, and we have this longing. It's connected, it's within the soul, it's connected to our biology. Some of us have estrogen-laced fire within, some of us have testosterone laced fire within they live out in different ways yes but we're all human and we feel it in different ways think of that for a moment that how we live oftentimes, is we're trying to whether we realize it or not saying this thing in this moment, this person will make me whole. There's a famous line cinematic, uh, in the cinematic universe that you're all going to relate, relate to. I'm not gonna tell you which video, but watch it, see if you can identify it right away here. But tonight, our little project, our company, <laughs> Had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. Or laugh about it with you. I miss... I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. You complete me. And they live happily ever after. That's how it works. So the point of this message is find the right person who completes you and you're good for the rest of your life. I want to suggest that there's something deep in the soul that connects with that, and yet in a profound sense, it's a lie. It's not true. We think it is. We're like, yeah, because it connects with something so deep within us. And we get it. And it's not just relationships, it's not just a person, it can be wealth. It can be success in a career, right? It, it, it can be all the power and influence. It can be love and adoration of your family and your friends. It can be fame. And we think, boy, if I, if I just get that, you complete me. This is will complete me. I almost played the, the Joker from Heath Ledger's version because he plays and he looks at Batman and he says, why do you want to kill me? He says, I don't want to kill you. You complete me. <laughs> and it was awkward and weird so I don't want to show it, but... But it's the idea we have that it's not just in relationships because we have been severed, because we have this longing. But the truth of the kingdom of God is this, is we will not be completed until Jesus returns and all is consummated. And then in that moment, when all is restored... When heaven comes to earth in the fullness, then we get to say the Tom Cruise line, I am completed. That's heaven. But friends, we believe the lie. There's a few moments. Pay attention to the people who have done and accomplished and received great things. What are their words? The famous theologian Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Hmm. Interesting. David, he sees Bathsheba. How many wives and concubines did David have at this moment? It doesn't matter because desire does not work that way. It's not rational. He's like, oh. <whistles> David, she's married. No, yeah, but she's the one. She is. I, I know I have a bunch of beautiful wives. Conc- but yeah. See that? That's not disciplining. The fire within, the desire within. In fact, sometimes what David should have done, as he had done in his life, the apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, flee from sexual immorality. Turn away all other sin, he says. A person commits outside the body. There's something to the, our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, he's saying, delete the app. Stop flirting with the coworker. Stop going to the source of temptation and apply that beyond sexual temptation. All of that that you know of dishonoring to God. Compromise for wealth or fame or influence, flee those moments. A big part of facing temptation and or handling the passion within that fires, ceasing to do the things that you know will get you on that trap and drag you down. But there's another part of it which David also fails to do is doing not just ceasing the unhealthy things, but doing the things that are healthy, that are good for him. Do you notice how the beginning of the story I tried to read with effect, right? Where where the the author, the inspired author, says, Yeah, in the time when kings should go to war, what's David doing? You know. He ain't in war. He's bored. Got a little passion, a little fire within. What a different story would have been if if he would have been focused on the things he knows God was focusing him in on. I want to talk for a moment. Just the power of focus and doing good. Proverbs 18, 9 says this. One who is slack or idle in his work is brother to one who destroys love how Proverbs puts it so poignantly, right? Or again, the apostle says, the church in Thessalonica, and you and me, we hear that some among you, this is 2nd Thessalonians, we hear that some among, among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food you eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. He's saying, get busy with doing good things. Get busy with the things that God has called you to do. Boredom is the great epidemic of our age. We have so much entertainment options, we have so much, we're just kissing away so much energy and focus and time. And friends, that can be dangerous. One of the best things you can do in facing temptation or to grow spiritually is to fill your time with good things that will help you focus that fire within and that passion. A long time ago, I was caring for a a person and in a subtle way was propositioned by her. Caught me off guard. I'm so thankful that my focus was how can I give her Wisdom and shepherding. It was my intent. My focus was there. And so even though it caught me off guard, I knew in my bones that I was called to shepherd and give wisdom and step away from that moment of temptation. Remember that was a lesson to me that if I can keep the framework of my mind focused on what is God having me to do, that's a huge step in allowing this fire within to not veer off into unhealthy things, but stay focused on what is good. Last thing for us this morning, that there is a, a power in sin. And David was caught up in the sin, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And I asked myself, what was the one thing that God was calling him to do in the midst of this whole long chapter that probably lasted a year? What was one thing God was calling him to do? There is a power that can break the power of sin because of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? It's not rocket science. It's confession. In fact, I I see the whole chapter of God inviting David through different people to 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 not do it to to confess. Uriah is that character, right? We we saw that. He he won't sleep with his own wife because the Ark of the Covenant is in the field and he tells that to David. Do you think the Spirit of God was communicating to David? Yeah. And David's like, I'm not only sleeping with my own wives, I'm sleeping with his. Right? Ow! And, and for and for him to, to place the death sentence in Uriah's hands. <laughs> I, I can't imagine his conscience. He must have been like, man, I have to be the biggest dirt bag I know right to to think that a drunk uriah had more integrity than a sober king david Ugh. it was this invitation to confess and repent i believe david eventually learns this lesson listen to his words in psalm 32, again, this is David. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. I wonder if he was talking about, we don't know if he's talking about, but I wonder if he was like, I feel it in my bones. But uh, Uriah, come and get drunk and sleep in, yeah. Could feel it in his bones. God was saying, David, get your head out of the sand. Come on. But, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, Forgiveness in confession brings renewal and strength and forgiveness, even if we have to face consequences to that sin. Think of the times when you've confessed something to a friend and the freedom and the renewal and the blessing that you've experienced. I... uh, Listen on Sirius XM to the Catholic guy. You guys all know I I think he's hilarious. I think he's super funny. He's always right on the edge of being sacrilegious and then pulls back at the last second. And he was talking about the Christian faith, and he says, you know, one of the best parts of the Christian faith is confession <laughs> and forgiveness. Christ is at the center, right? We should, like, take advantage of that more. And I was like, yeah, that, that's right. That, what a... Talk about benefits. I mean, those benefits that we read in Psalm 103, they were awesome, but at the heart is forget, we get to come before God, and he says, it's not for condemnation. I'm not gonna condemn you and move you far away. I'm gonna forgive you and draw you close. It's a source of mercy and grace, Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confession is how we tap in to the flow of his mercy and grace. It's how we allow all the benefits of heaven to fill our soul In our lives, it's how we break the power of sin. It's how we break the power of the lies of the enemy. It's how we find renewal and blessing and hope. Friends, why don't we do it more? We should be a people that are quick to confess quick to get real before God I think oftentimes we're carrying sin because we're ashamed and condemned and that's not the spirit of God that's the spirit of the enemy and God is saying come I will forgive you in the name of Christ I was pondering on how we should end the service. Sometimes I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I was thinking confession would be a good way to end it. Yes? What I'd like to do is have a corporate confession, but really we're getting real before the Lord, and if there's anything that's there, we get to bring that between us and him. In fact, I'd like to invite the worship team and, and also I'd like to invite our, our prayer folks. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to lead you through a time of confession and then I've asked our, our prayer team if, if they would have Oil is a way of blessing. Further down in Psalm 103, it says perhaps one of the most gorgeous and beautiful of all scriptures is, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. The immensity of God's love where his children walk in obedience. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? And so I want to lead us in a time of confession. And then if you feel so led, I would love it if most of The congregation just came forward and they anointed you and said something along the lines as far as the east is from the west. He removes your transgressions from you. A short blessing symbolized by oil. Can we come before the Lord in prayer? So, Lord, we are mindful that you are a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. That you know our souls inside out. Lord, we confess that we are a people that struggle with the fire within Sometimes it's thought life. Sometimes it's action. We want to claim this promise that we get to confess whatever it is. Just want to encourage some of us. There might be sins from a long time ago. that we've buried deep within the soul and we've we've figured out how to live, even go to church and relate to our family. But we're holding on to that. It's in the quiet moments of our heart, we wonder if we're really set free of that. For some of us, there's ongoing sin. Whether it's lust or greed, dishonesty, or anger, or gossip, great and small. This can be the morning that you break that power. This can be the morning that that sin of a long time ago, you finally are released. Just take a moment between you and the Lord. What is it that he's inviting you to lay at the foot of the cross and allow Jesus to say, I died for that. If he's brought an awareness there of something, great or small, a sin of omission or commission, just lay it before him, give it to him. as we sing, encourage you to receive. You are forgiven if you've confessed. Would you come forward and be blessed with that forgiveness and all the benefits of the Lord?